Welcome to the Catholic Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Levi Russell, and today is August 22nd, 2020. So today is the inaugural episode of the Economic Commentary Series. And so what I'm going to do is go through some articles that I found interesting this week and just kind of give my thoughts on what's going on with the broader economy. So I'll have all of the articles I read linked in the show notes for you. And so let's go ahead and get started with that. So the first thing is to just give a general overview, and I think the the stock market is interesting. Oh, by the way, none of this is to be construed as uh, investment advice. I am not a licensed financial advisor, so none of this is advice. It's just me uh, giving my opinions, and so it's it's entertainment only. So the stock market in the past several weeks has gone very, very, very high, and Recently, uh, this week, we've kind of seen it go sideways a little bit, and, and so there's kind of some questions as to why that's happening. And I think a, a lot of this is we need to have a, an understanding of what the stock market is. So the stock market is the valuation of companies, right? So if we have this broad stock market index, um, then that, that would measure the, the total value of all of these companies, you know, the, the price of the stock times the, uh, uh, the number of shares or something like that, right? If we were going to measure all of that, um, then we would just be looking at the valuation of those companies. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, well, this doesn't make sense because it seems to be diverging from GDP, right? We had uh, a massive drop in GDP last, uh, last quarter, and yet the, the stock market's doing really well. And I think part of this is just the, the reality that, the, the stock market is just measuring the, the, the valuation of uh, those companies. It's not measuring the valuation of a bunch of companies that aren't on the market, that aren't on that index. Right, so your, your local store uh, is not on there. So the, what we're seeing, I think, is a transfer of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street and and specifically to a lot of what they're calling stay-at-home stocks. So these would be companies, tech companies and stuff like that, uh, maybe pizza chains, although we're going to talk about pizza chains soon uh, here at the end of this show. Uh, all of these companies that seem to do well when everyone is locked down thanks to the, uh, the affliction policies. So I think that explains the divergence and it explains GDP going or GDP going down while the stock market going way up. But I think also uh, what's interesting is that the delay in the stimulus has kind of put a little bit of a pause on this uh, meteoric rise of the stock market. So the because there wasn't a deal in August uh, or excuse me in July, and there's probably not going to be one here in August on the Trump bucks 2.0 uh, that I think is, is kind of putting a damper because again, I think a lot of this valuation is being driven by the fact that people are, you know, sitting at home, they've got their, you know, they're, they're, they're changing their uh, consumption patterns. And 
whenever we see these big stimulus things, people aren't necessarily doing um, smart things with it. They're just buying junk, right? They're buying stuff. Uh, in a lot of cases, maybe they're being smart about it, right? They're, they're taking care of kind of one-time or, or irregular purchases, or maybe they're paying down some debt, which is good things to do with that money, uh, in my view, personally. Uh, again, entertainment only. But um, I think what's also interesting is that the something called the Buffett indicator. So this is a ratio of the Wilshire 5000 index, which is kind of the broadest measure of the stock market, uh, divided by uh, the the U.S. GDP number uh, on a on an annual basis. And so right now, the Buffett indicator is at the highest level it's been. Uh, since the internet bubble crash in 2000. And so that's kind of flashing overvaluation. That's kind of flashing uh, this this um, idea that the, the stock market is overvalued. But again, I think that that kind of depends on how permanent a lot of this stuff is. Because if this is a permanent shift of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street, thanks to this, this lockdown, then potentially we just have to readjust what we think is normal for the Buffett indicator. And, and I, I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate, but I think there's, there's something we, we could be seeing a shift in the, what's considered normal for the Buffett indicator. So the next thing here in, obviously a lot of this is due to the feds, easy money policy and stuff like that. Obviously they're, they're the ones that are financing all of the, previous round of Trump bucks and all the other things that were going into the CARES Act uh, and the things that we're going to see in round two if we get a round two. Um, but what's what's also interesting is some of what we would consider to be the negative effects of this. And so, of course, we've been treated by the, um, the MMT crowd to all of this uh, kind of mocking that, oh, there's where's the inflation you're all concerned about? Um, but what's interesting is that the dollar has fallen over 10% in the last five months against a basket of five major currencies. So this is a consequence that we would expect using sort of standard neoclassical uh, economic theory that the dollar would lose value if we've shut down the economy and the Fed is just uh, easing monetary policy as much as possible. So the... The article that I read on this uh, <clears throat> is from Barron's, and uh, they basically mentioned that, you know, since we're still in this lockdown mode, since, I mean, the, the way they put it is they, they we haven't dealt with the affliction like other countries have, which I think is just garbage. But the since we're still in this lockdown mode, um, it's, it's really harming our dollar relative to a bunch of other currencies. And one of the so okay so what does that mean what does it mean that the dollar is weaker well it affects trade um, and it can also affect capital markets so we can see people incentivized to taking their capital out of u.s companies and putting them in companies that are uh, denominated in different currencies so we might see a shift from u.s investment to investment in the eurozone to investment in the uk or to investment in maybe Canada, Australia, or developing markets, even so, just because of this weaker dollar. So it's you know, I, I can make I can make more money in terms of you know, some other currency if I just move my money from the dollar to this other currency, right? So I'm going to make money based on that company doing better, right? But I'm also going to make money because uh, I'm, I'm going to be 
in a different currency. So that's one possibility we could see there. So we could see a kind of a pullback in investment in U.S. companies. We could also see, I think, some inflation. So just some very early inklings of some possibilities for inflation here because, um, let's see, from June to July, we saw the biggest rise in the CPI in 30 years since 1991. So the CPI, the, the Consumer Price Index, rose 0.6% from June to July of this year. And, and again, that was the biggest monthly rise in almost 30 years, which is pretty significant and maybe an, 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 a leading indicator of some inflation in the future. Now, we don't know that uh, for sure. Inflation is difficult to measure, as I've talked about in previous shows. We have these hedonic adjustments where we try to take into account the quality changes of a good. And so all of the sort of mathematical chicanery that goes with that kind of makes it difficult to determine what what, uh, what inflation really is, uh, what what how we're measuring that uh, change in the price. So point is... Uh, I don't think there's anything to say that we're out of the woods on inflation. The dollar has fallen. That's definitely a negative consequence of this whole uh, super easy Fed monetary policy. So next, I saw a piece uh, on Yahoo Finance where the CEO of Chegg, which is a kind of a secondary market textbook uh, company, the CEO of Chegg is saying that he thinks 25% of U.S. colleges will close as a result of the affliction and the associated lockdown. And I think, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty close to this industry. This is one industry I might know something about uh, just purely from being inside of it. Um, and what I'm seeing with a lot of these universities and is, is very concerning for the colleges themselves. Now, you may not like the universities, and I, I understand where you're coming from there. So this maybe maybe it'll hit you different, but let me just give you the, the the arguments that I'm seeing, and I think this is going to be mainly small private institutions. So if you think about it, a lot of these private institutions don't have the massive um, uh, the, the massive endowments that a few of the larger ones do, Harvard, Yale, etc., and. So they're not, they can't really draw on this huge investment pool to make up for other financial difficulties like uh, reductions in tuition dollars because people are taking fewer hours, um, reductions in new students coming in, right? So obviously that's going to be a reduction in tuition. So the, the Chegg CEO cites this statistic that says that 78% of students right now say that they're going to college solely to get a better job. And I think this has been a strategic mistake that universities have made. And the kind of the theme here is short-term gain, long-term uh, suicide, basically. Because what, what has happened is you have all of these students, and, and I teach in a business school, so I, you know, I see this, uh, especially in these kind of professional-type programs. You know, the whole point of going for so many of these students, almost all of them, I would say, is that they're there because they want to get a better job. They know, they've been told their whole lives, uh, I mean, even my generation, I'm, I'm 33, even my generation was told this. You, if you're going to expect to get a decent paying job, 
you have to go to college. And if you don't, then you're going to end up uh, in prison. You're going to end up homeless, et cetera. So, again, almost 80% of these students are saying that they're going to college just because it would get them a better job. And what we're seeing is that because colleges have pushed towards this, you're going to get a better job argument. Well, all they've done is raise tuition. And so the, the idea is that at some point they're going to get to a price of that uh, credential being so high and, and the other opportunity cost of the student attending that institution is going to get so high that they're just going to say, well, you know what, forget it. And I, I think we'll, we'll see a shift to that. I mean, we've seen this shift to that in the tech sector already where the, the tech employers are using different, um, different metrics to determine whether or not the person is a good hire, not, not necessarily do they have a, a college degree. So because of this whole lockdown, there's a lot of colleges that for the first time, they've had to lower their tuition. And I say for the first time, you know, for the first time in, say, the last 50, 60 years, they're having to lower their tuition. And so because their financial model was built on never having to do that, they have absolutely no idea what to do now. Because even even public colleges, it's not necessarily about their public funding, and that has declined as well, right? So the state budgets have been tightened up. And even with this bailout they got from the CARES Act, uh, it's not enough to offset all of the uh, extensive spending that they love to do on all of these amenities and these exorbitant salaries for the top end of the university. And so they just, I think they're just in a really bad pinch here. So they, they've, in other words, they've overrun their cost model and their revenue is all of a sudden declining and they just planned for their revenue to never, ever decline. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see what that, um, what, what kind of strategies they, they use. And, you know, the Chegg CEO, part of his argument is that we're, these, these colleges aren't shifting to online. In other words, they need to, they need to just go online and comply with the, what I would guess would be a minority of students who are really concerned about the affliction and just want to be online. I think most students don't want to be that way. I think most of them want to be uh, on the campus. They want to do normal stuff and they don't, they don't want to be hassled with all of this uh, affliction paranoia. But, um, I, I mean, so he, you know, he's talking about shifting to online. Part of that is, you know, it, in reality, it's lower cost. Now, a lot of times online courses are more expensive uh, in terms of what, what the universities are charging, but there's really no reason for that um, because technically speaking, a lot of the cost, you know, the, the professor cost is, is much lower. So what I'm thinking is, Sometime this fall, we're going to see a shift to online again. They're going to do the whole lockdown thing, especially in the U.S. with the elections. You know, we're obviously going to see um, the Democrat Party just completely try to shut down the entire country again uh, and, and obviously a bid to get rid of Trump. But what does that mean for these universities that have all this money tied up in these huge buildings, uh, this lavish uh gyms and pools and all this crazy stuff that just becomes worthless because you can't have the students on campus, or at least there's no reason to have them on campus. I mean, you, you can, you can put them in the dorms, but why go to campus if everything's online? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Um, 
And so where's the bright spot in training and academia? Well, number one, I think that um, just paying a lower price to get educated on the things you're interested in. In other words, forget about the degree. I just want to learn about uh, history or I just want to learn about economics or whatever in my spare time. Well, I think there's going to be more and more opportunities for that. And on that note, please visit leoinstitute.org and check out all of the uh, research and other things we've got going on there and get more announcements uh, as as time goes by because we're, we're really – uh, putting in some effort to build here. Uh, our first, the first edition of our quarterly magazine will be out sometime next month. So look for that. But I think community colleges are going to see a surge in enrollment. And so this is going to be a good thing for, in some sense, state budgets. Uh, most of these community colleges are, um, are, are public. And most of them really have built themselves around a low-cost model that feeds that um, kind of professional training perspective, you know, uh, 78% of students say they, they go to college just to get a better job. Well, a lot more of them are going to say, well, heck, you know, um, I don't really care so much what I do for a job. I just want to get paid well, uh, you know, so I can go, I can become a nurse by going to the community college, um, and make a, a decent salary with a two year, uh, degree or the, the four year training for nurses or whatever they do. Um, but, but these different types of things I can get, I can do some, some kind of version of trade school through the community college. So there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities there and we're going to see, I think a shift more and more towards those community colleges. They are more nimble because they have such a low cost strategy and they're just, I think, better, um, equipped to deal with this new, uh, environment. So I want to take a quick break here to talk about the sponsor for uh, today's show, and that is Colette's Carvings. So I often talk about buying local and supporting Catholic businesses. So I want to make you aware of a great business run by a young Catholic couple, and they just recently had their first child, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful family. Colette's Carvings makes beautiful wooden plaques for your home. I bought one of the first ones they made for my son's bedroom. He is named after St. Francis Xavier, and Colette's Carvings did a masterful job making a custom wall hanging to honor his namesake. Themes range from saints to custom family and nursery signs to holiday decor. Devotionals and decor from our home to yours. Check out Colette's Carvings on Etsy at the link in the show notes. It's a great company. Beautiful family. Wonderful folks. Um, and the, the, uh, the husband is, uh, is, is helping me out, advising me with, uh, with the, the Leo Institute as well. So I, I'm really, really happy to have him around. So next up, uh, a piece by Jim Kramer. So Kramer is the, uh, if you're not aware of Kramer, <laughs> just, just Google him. He's a, he's a pretty loud guy. Um, uh, but he has a really interesting article where he just kind of gives uh, a smattering of what he thinks are kind of stock pick implications. But you can really read them as economic implications, too, I think, in terms of these, these particular industries, um, in terms of this whole work from home perspective. So, uh, you know, again, he's, he's giving maybe he's giving advice on investing. I'm not. But, uh, but I think it was just interesting just as a student of, of microeconomics and, and that sort of thing. So please check that out. I'll have it again. All these articles will be in the show notes. So um, he's basically saying that lo looking to Salesforce, uh, which is a massive employer, um, 
the the Salesforce CEO has extended their work from home policy till July of next year, 2021. Um, I just heard the other day that Kansas City has a mask order in place until January. And so again, I think, you know, this is not, this is going to be the new normal. This whole shutdown thing is not, is not temporary. Uh, I, I don't think. Um, so because Salesforce has extended this work from home order and, and Kramer seems to really like the Salesforce, uh, CEO and, and, you know, he thinks he's a sage with, with respect to the whole affliction thing. Um, and so these, and I'm not going to go through them all, but he's basically saying, you know, what, what are these, you know, what, what, what are the implications on your, your, your stock portfolio? And he talks about airlines and, you know, I mean, who's going to travel for business, right? Uh, zoom, you know, maybe they're going to get, uh, maybe they're going to get a, a real boost from this. Um, he talks about, uh, an interesting thing with, um, real estate. So, you know, if you live in, as he mentions here, if you live in the suburbs or if you live like I do out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, generally houses are big enough in terms of the number of rooms they have to where someone can kind of figure out how to build a little office. And, and I've had trouble with this with, um, you know, it's just so hard to isolate, uh, and, and, you know, kind of have that mentality where, you know, I'm at work, I'm doing my work thing. And then I come home and I get to spend time with my family and I get to do things that I want to do, uh, and relax and forget about work for a while. And it's really hard to do that when you're at home. And so he's talking about, you know, uh, building an office and stuff like that. But the thing is when you, if you live in the city, I mean, good luck, you know, you don't have all these extra rooms or, or extra space to kind of, you know, cordon off a room. And so he thinks a lot of these people are going to move out and they're going to be looking to build new homes or get bigger houses in the suburbs. And so he thinks this whole ex-urban timeline, he says specifically, the whole ex-urban timeline just sped up simply because this thought leader has given you a year to get settled at home, right? So he's talking thought leader. He's mentioning the the CEO of, um, uh, Salesforce. So that's kind of an interesting sort of thing. So last two items here, uh, Judy Shelton is Trump's latest nominee to the federal reserve board of governors. And she's gotten a lot of criticism. And I, I think he's, this isn't his first nominee like this, but, uh, she's gotten a lot of criticism for her views on gold, um, and, and using gold as a, as you know, having a gold reserve type currency. Um, she, she, at one point in her past, she, <laughs> she didn't like the idea of deposit insurance, which man, I can imagine that being a real, uh, heavy hit to somebody who's, uh, really just educated and sort of standard macro. And, and she also, uh, has questioned the need for a central bank. And I mean, you know, to people who, to people who grew up or, or, well, you know, for me in college, you know, read a lot of the Ron Paul stuff. Uh, this is not, um, revolutionary or crazy or anything, but apparently she's getting a lot of pushback. There was a letter written by a whole bunch of federal reserve folks, um, basically telling the Senate to reject her nomination. Um, and the opposition, the whole thing seems to be partisan, uh, in the committee itself, uh, the party, it was a party line vote. And of course, Republicans controlling the Senate right now, you know, she made it through the committee, but now she's got to pass through the, the, the whole Senate. And it seems like 
it was probably going to be another part of party line vote, but Murkowski from uh, Alaska and Mitt Romney, you know, the sort of neocons, uh, they're of course signaling opposition, uh, to the whole idea of voting her through. So she, if it was just those two that kind of went against the party and voted against her, she would still make it. She needs, she, they would need four Republicans to join the Democrats and all the Democrats to vote a complete party line, uh, to keep her out. But it's just an interesting thing here where, you know, Trump is sort of shaking up, uh, some of this stuff. And, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to have on the board of governors, someone who is going to bring a little bit of a different perspective instead of just rubber stamping everything that, uh, essentially the, the, the neoclassical monetary Keynesian monetary establishment has, has said. So finally, just some more local type news, although it's not really local. Um, uh, there's a company called NP- NPC international, uh, that is a major P- pizza hut and Wendy's franchisee based in the Kansas city, Kansas suburbs. And they are shuttering 300 pizza hut locations. And what this, I think what this does is it speaks to the complexity of the economic effects of the lockdown. And the reason they're shuttering these 300 locations is because these locations are not well suited to carry out and delivery. In other words, they have a lot of space dedicated to dine in. And of course, you know, so you think, well, oh, you know, pizza, pizza delivery demand has just gone through the roof. Um, there are, uh, all these delivery chains, uh, Domino's, just their 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 profits were crazy, and they're planning alone. Just Domino's is planning on hiring twenty thousand, or has hired twenty thousand workers just to keep up with the delivery and and carryout demand. And so, and yet you're seeing a major franchisee uh, essentially shut down a whole bunch of locations. I mean, three hundred locations—that's a lot. And and what they're going to be doing most likely is finding smaller stores that just have room for the kitchen and, uh, you know, sort of the carry out or delivery model. And, uh, so it's kind of interesting, you know, in my, in my experience, I see a lot of these former pizza hut locations, these real small, uh, stores, uh, turned into something else, you know, pizza hut sold them and, and bought these bigger stores. And now because of this whole affliction lockdown thing, they're sort of going the other direction. I don't think they're going to, you know, buy up those old buildings that still exist. My, my internet provider is housed in a, in a former pizza hut. And of course it has that, uh, that characteristic pizza hut roof. (laughs) So I, this is just a very interesting thing. You know, we're, we're seeing, uh, so much go on because of the lockdown. And this is such an interesting, um, happenstance where you've got this, Pizza Hut franchisee just shutting down, uh, you know, 300 stores. Unreal. Um, just amazing the capital shift that's happening. And again, this is another reason why I think this is long term, right? We're shifting capital here. We're shifting physical capital goods. We're not just, you know, rearranging numbers uh, in bank accounts. We're not just, um, you know, uh, selling one stock and buying another one. No, we're, we're making real changes here. Uh, so this is uh, significant stuff. But thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the inaugural uh, economic commentary episode. I'm, gonna, I'm planning on doing one of these every week. So 
Uh, let me know in the feedback what you think. I really appreciate all of you listening to this. I'm, I'm so glad there are people interested in Catholic economics and uh, distributism or whatever you want to call this, Catholic social teaching, whatever term you want to use. I'm really glad people are interested in it. So if you have feedback, hit me up on Twitter, uh, Facebook, or send me an email. My email's uh, in the show notes, and the links to Facebook and Twitter are also in there. So thanks, and have a nice weekend.